0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we're continuing this week, and what will end up being three weeks in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, the the Bread of Life discourse. And last week, if you recall, the the reading was about uh, 5,000-plus people following Jesus, Um, Jesus going up on a mountain to teach them. Uh, and then the need to feed those people, and so we have the miracle of the five thousand. And then the the people are so impressed by Jesus that they want to make him king. So Jesus quickly leaves. His disciples get on a boat to go find him. Jesus walks across the water to meet them uh, in the boat on the water, and then immediately spirits them quickly to the other side. Um, of the, of the lake, of the sea. So today we pick up with that, that story, and we noted last week how these people, these, these Jews, but also particularly the Jews that are in that crowd, though it might not be all the Jewish people, they, they, they know that they need a deliverer. They know that they want and perhaps need a new Moses, someone to deliver them from the latest oppressors, or at least whether that's the Romans or at least from their latest oppressions, those things that they feel like are, are weighing them down. And so that's their, their need, their desire, rather, to want to make Jesus their king is they're looking for someone to deliver them. So we, we come to today's passage with that background behind us. And, and today's text really is Jesus uh, setting the stage for the Bread of Life discourse. We only get that very last verse of today's reading, the very first verse of that discourse, if you will. And and the main task that Jesus has to do is to get these people to quit thinking about literal bread and to begin thinking about spiritual bread. So here again, verse 26, we're told, well, 24 begins that when the crowd sees that Jesus isn't there, they all get on their boats and go to find him. Right, and that, and that totally makes sense, right? They, they're already following Jesus, not because they believe that he's the incarnate Son of God, but, it, but mostly because of the signs that he does. And of course, he just did this incredible sign for them, right? He fed them when they were hungry. He took, he took some loaves and some fishes, and he made plenty of food, so much so that there were 12 baskets left over. I mean, th- he's done this, this miraculous thing for them, right? I mean, when you're hungry, you want food, that's normal. As some of you know, uh, for the past six months, Christina and I started exercising and we reduced our portion size to try to get in better shape. But for the first couple months, we were just hungry, I think, all the time, right? Our body wanted food. We were burning more calories than we were taking in, which was good. That was the point to burn up the fat. But I mean, I was, I was hungry all the time. And, you know, late in the afternoon, I think if someone would have looked at me cross, I was just, I mean, I was hangry, kind of hungry. You know, I was, how dare you say anything to me? How dare you pass me in the hall and look at me like that? Right? I was just hungry all the time. So, so I, I get the fact that if you have, if you're hungry and you see someone perform this miracle, that you're thinking, this is great, let's follow him. Why wouldn't you follow him? He's provided us with something that we need. It's amazing. But again, verse 2 had told us that this crowd was following Jesus because of the signs that they had seen, not because of who he truly was. And verse 26, Jesus reiterates that point. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So now they've gone from just being curious about Jesus from the signs he does to just following Jesus because he's like a personal chef. Right? I mean it's like Jesus made in and out for everyone, so let's just follow this guy. This is great, you know? So Jesus knows why they're looking for him. They know that, you know, at this point, I'm not even sure if they want to make him king anymore, but they liked the food and they're following him. So Jesus calls them out on that. And again, he now he now has this opportunity, or he takes the opportunity to begin to transition them from thinking in terms of filling their bellies with that which will just go away and then they'll need more of to that which will satisfy them for life. So he needs to turn them that he, from, from the, the literal food, to thinking of him as the spiritual food that God has sent from heaven. And he does this in verses 32 through 58. That's the bulk of the discourse, but we're, we're not really even going to touch on the main part of the discourse tonight. So we need to see Jesus change them, and he does this between verses 22 and 29. And so Jesus prepares his hearers for this new teaching that he's going to offer them. Right? He, he needs to prepare them, and he begins to prepare them um, by doing three things. First, he tells them that they need to adjust their thinking from the literal physical bread that sustains life to heavenly bread, which gives eternal life. Now, this is interesting because if you've read and, and, and recall John 4, what does Jesus tell the woman at the well? Well, I need to get some water. Well, I can give you water that'll never that'll, that'll satiate you forever right this Jesus does this this is his thing it says like I will take something that you need right food and water and I will make it the thing that you truly need to have eternal life so Jesus needs to adjust their thinking like okay quit thinking about that dinner I fed you last night and instead start thinking about what do you actually need you need the bread that'll feed you forever you need a heavenly bread so again Moving them away, in verses 26 and 27, from literal bread to thinking about heavenly bread. And then Jesus says, you people should work for this bread that lasts for eternal life. I'm going to provide it, but you should work for it. Verse 27. Now, we know that Jesus is going to be talking about salvation. That's the bread he's offering, eternal life himself, but it's eternal life. It satisfies eternally. And so when we read here that Jesus says you have to work for this bread, there might be a moment where we go, whoa, whoa, back up, Jesus. What are you saying, right? Are you telling people to work for eternal life? Are you telling them that that this bread which you offer they have to to work for, that they have to earn? No, we'll see that that's not what Jesus is saying, but he is saying you do need to work for it. No more free handouts, people. Quit following me as hanger-ons. It's time to do a work. And we'll see what that work is. And then Jesus, the third thing is, he, using work there, he introduces the theme of God's work, which leads to faith in Jesus and reception of this life-giving bread. So you've got a work to do, but guess what? God is also doing a work. And the work that you need to do is not just to go back, reread your Torah, and start obeying it, though that is good. Right? That's not what Jesus is saying. To them. He's not saying go back, reread the Torah, and start doing the good works laid out. That's not the work I'm talking about. I'm talking about the work that God the Father does in your hearts that leads to faith in Jesus. That's the work of God. God is the one who initiates us to even be able to respond to his offer of salvation. God begins that work within us, right? We don't do that. That's God's work in us. And then that leads us to do our work. What is that work that Jesus tells them they need to do? Basically, it's get out of the way. Yield to the work that God is doing in your life. Your main work is to yield to God's salvific work. Right, so this keeps salvation all about the work that God is doing and not the work that we're doing, except the work that we do is just yielding to the work that God already does. And as I was reflecting on this, I was thinking about the the ways in which, um, I think this qualifies me as as a bad parent in one sense. So um, I'm pretty sure Brendan still remembers how to use the lawnmower. So we do our own yard work. And we taught Brendan how to use the lawnmower. It's just we mostly don't get out of the way and let him do it. We do it. Christine and I both like doing yard work. It's how we spent a couple hours yesterday morning, right? We both like doing it. And part of that is because if Brendan has that lawnmower, I'm going to be there going, no, 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 you see, you run past the yard, use the driveway as the turnaround. You don't want to leave a mark in the grass. Turn around the driveway. No, go back this way. Oh, make sure you're overlapping, Right? Like, I'm, I'm just bad about that. I'm bad at yielding and letting someone else, like my own kids, do yard work, right? Um, and, that, and that's bad on my part. But yet, I, if I could do it well, I would yield. I would just get out of the way. Go cut the grass, Brendan. I'll be inside. Now, I think Brendan's capable of doing it. This is saying more about me. And so Jesus has to address These people, because he knows that the temptation of us as human beings is to want to affect things. It's to want to do things. It's to want to make things happen, usually on our terms, right? We're desirous of a job. We want it yesterday. We're desirous of a particular outcome. We want it last week. We're desirous of lots of things. And then we set about often trying to make those happen, right? I don't know if I've shared this already from up here, but I was... It hasn't been that long ago where uh, Jonathan uh, Diaz was sitting in my office and we were talking about something, and I said, you know what, Jonathan, I'm going to pray for you about that. And so the next day, trying to be good to my word, I, I prayed for Jonathan, generically. This was about a job, right? And then I, later that day, it just struck me. Why was I praying generically? Why wouldn't I have prayed more specifically about what Jonathan shared with me, right? In other words, why wouldn't I have named the school that he had interviewed at? Like, let Jonathan have a job here, right? And so that, that specificity, that need to, for us to be, like, making something happen, so I, I adjusted my prayer, and I said, you know what, God? I want Jonathan to have this job, but mostly what I want for him is whatever you want for him, now, that's a tension, right? Because we want to be specific, yet we also don't want to presume. We, we want to we get out of the way and let God be God, but we don't want to miss the opportunity that God is giving us to be doing things. Right? Have you ever met those people who've been praying for the past 10 years about whether or not they should get involved in something? <laughs> like, I'm waiting for an answer from God. Or you could just do And let God push you out of the way when you get in the way or something like that, right? So here he's saying to the people, look, let's turn your thinking. You need to quit thinking about literal physical bread that sustains your life to thinking about heavenly bread that gives you eternal life. You need to begin doing the work for this bread, but that work is getting out of the way of the work that God wants to do. So this crowd of people who are, again, following Jesus, mostly because I think at this point they still like the Jesus show, Right? Like, Jesus does impressive things, so they're kind of following the Jesus show. So in response to Jesus' teaching thus far, the crowd, in verse 30, ask for a sign. I love it. I would, I would so be on board with these people if I was there. I'd be, I, I would probably follow because I thought something was cool. I'd probably think it was cool that this guy had fed me. And then when he was saying something that might be a little more difficult, I'd probably say... Give us a sign and what they mean by this is if we should be doing the works of god then what work do you do as a sign to us of the truthfulness of your teaching i mean the audacity right the audacity of these people okay jesus you're making these promises but what sign do you give us to to verify the truthfulness of this claim So they ask for a sign. Why? Because, again, they like the Jesus show. They're sign-chasing people. So they say, for example, we'll give you you an example, Jesus. For example, our forefathers ate man in the wilderness by the way of Moses' work. right? So notice here the connection of Jesus again with Moses. We've We've already said this, but this is now the people making this connection. So, for example, Moses told us that if we went out here in the wilderness and that God would deliver us, but it didn't, you know, our forefathers, but it didn't feel that way, you know, because we were getting hungry and we remembered all the good cucumbers and leeks back in Egypt. So, so Moses gave us manna. In other words, if Moses gave our f- fathers manna and you're promising something greater than manna, that is food that feeds eternally, not just uh, physically, then give us a sign so that we can see how you're greater than Moses. Right, you you see what's going on here? It's like, all right, Jesus, give us a sign. Moses did this, you're promising something better, so you're going to have to ratchet up that sign a bit. Now, of course, I love the fact that they're bringing up the manna, and that's exactly, in a sense, what Jesus wants, right? That's what this discourse is all about making the connection between God giving the manna in the wilderness um, after the Exodus to God now giving them the bread of life as their exodus, right? From, from um, a life of sin and death to eternal life. And so they imprecisely quote Deuteronomy 4 when do they say, Moses, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So John uses that imprecise quotation to move the conversation squarely into the realm of eating bread, right? They've been talking about this, but not just any bread. This is now talking about heavenly bread, Right? So Jesus kind of masterfully moves the conversation, and, and they help, to talking about bread that comes down from heaven. So beginning in verse 32, Jesus begins the bread of life discourse proper. And again, we only have a few verses to deal with tonight, but we'll see the rest next week. So, so here begins, Jesus has begun to tell them to, to think about how they need to turn. He's begun, I think, to turn them. They've given him the opportunity to give them a sign, because they don't even recognize yet that he is the sign. Right? I mean, the sign is this. Jesus could just be like, hey, it's me. I'm the sign that you're looking for, right? But instead, he's like, okay, let's, let's think about this Moses giving man in the wilderness. First of all, Jesus says, verse 32, the beginning, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven. It was God that did that. It wasn't Moses at all. In other words, quit thinking about the past where you think Moses gave your forefather something. And let's bring this into the present and say, no, you're, you need something now. And it was God that gave it then. So who do you think is going to give it now? God. Second part of verse 32. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. That's the source, not only of manna, but that's the source of the true bread that comes down from heaven. Moses wasn't the source, but God the father was the source. And by calling it true bread here, Jesus, I don't think, is implying that somehow manna was false or, or incomplete. Rather, he's just saying this heavenly bread of life, right, this true bread that God is going to give you now is complete and perfect. You will need nothing else if you eat of this bread that God is going to give you. Another way to say it might be this. Manna was just a foreshadow of the true bread of heaven. That manna was pointing to something better, greater, something more true that was yet to come. And that is the food that comes from heaven and sustains for a lifetime. In that sense, think about it. This is Eucharistic, right? Is that not what our very bread and wine does? It points us beyond the bread and the wine to he who is the bread of life, Jesus. So the way in which the manna anticipated and points to, Jesus, so does our bread and wine on the altar each and every week. And so Jesus connects this life-giving bread that comes down, that that God is going to give, He, he connects it explicitly to himself as the incarnate son of God. When he says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, And gives life to the world. The bread of life is he who comes down from heaven. Not the bread of life is the stuff that falls down from heaven. No. The bread of life is he who comes down. He's made this explicit. I am the bread of life. In other words, I am the sign that's standing right in front of you. And it's this bread that gives life to the world. So then the crowd don't know if they're getting it yet, but they're moving in the right direction. Says, well, then give us this bread. So I don't know. I'm not convinced that they're they're all converting in mass right there. They still might be thinking, like, he's been talking for a while. Are you getting hungry? I'm getting hungry, too. (laughs) All right, we're talking about bread. Give us this bread. Right? But the point is they're moving in the right direction. So Jesus uses this request for this heavenly bread. He uses it to then say, I am the bread of life. So he's moved this from the bread that they had enjoyed the day before and that they would like to have more of, to moving it from the manna that that was the sign to their forefathers, to moving it to himself, the bread of life. And so next week, as Jesus continues in the Bread of Life discourse proper, we'll be able to to really unpack what he says and continue this strong Eucharistic theme. But again, it's here tonight that, that Jesus is the sign that is pointing to this eternal bread. And so may we, as we receive the bread and the wine tonight, and I mean, we need to be doing this every week, but tonight in particular, let us reflect upon the fact that that bread and that wine upon the altar is pointing us beyond it. Is it doing something for us? Yes, it is feeding us. It is bringing healing to us. It is giving us the strength that we need, again, to do that work that God has called us to do. But it points beyond itself to Jesus, ultimately. And so let us not just enjoy this, but let us us recognize that we have the privilege of partaking of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that as we see this bread and this wine on the altar, that behind it is Jesus, because he is the bread of life. And may we not just be sustained by this bread and wine, but may we also ensure that we receive Jesus worthily and we are sustained by him as we continue to move forward in our lives, desirous to, to not just be fed with anything that can satiate ourselves for a moment, but rather instead that which satisfies us for life. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.